Welcome to the Chris Rawl Show. My name is Chris Rawl. The clock is ticking. Football is around the corner. We are mere weeks away from Nebraska Northwestern. I'm giddy. I'm excited. I've been talking to everybody my entire life about it. They probably all hate me for reasons other than that, but really, especially because of that. But college football is almost here. We're about a month out from the NFL. The two things that we all want back in our lives. I'm very excited about this. I'm also very excited if you go and sign up for my newsletter. So go to chrisrawl.com and do that. If you have not already, please and thank you. Let us move on. Let us get into today's show where I'm going to talk about books again, because this is probably turning into a reading podcast shortly and also about within the world of football, creating the structure and stability for people to thrive. Richard Powers is a master writer. He's a very gifted author who has written a lot of books. I have read about 2.5 of them. I think I've quoted the prior two on this show. One of them is called The Echo Maker, won some awards. Uh, the other is called The Overstory, it won the Pulitzer Prize. Uh, Richard Powers is really, really, really gifted at taking the amount of life that is in the universe and putting it onto a page in a way that is not overwhelming or makes you feel small and afraid, but makes you feel like you're this small, tiny part of something that A, you cannot really comprehend, but B, the little slivers that you can make you feel this sense of awe and just power to be alive and you feel like it's a, a gift, essentially, that you are here on Earth at this particular time with all of these things around you. The Echo Maker is about memory, essentially. Uh, it's about just the incredible thing that is the human brain. And as I read it and get to the end of it, I'm just like, you know, I, the brain is so cool. That's, that's always the takeaways that I have whenever I read stuff that he has written because he gets really in depth and granular about all these intricacies about whatever the subject may be, the brain in the echo maker, the overstory. It's about trees, strangely enough, which Going in, I'm, I'm like, okay, trees are fine. You know, I wouldn't say I'm anti-tree, but I'm not some tree monger, I guess. By the end of it, I was a tree monger. I still am to this day because Richard Powers is able to put stuff onto paper. It just resonates with me as I read. Uh, within that story, the overstory, he talks about Pando. It's, it's a tree system, essentially, that actually exists within Utah, the state that I live it's called the Trembling Giant. It's the largest living organism on Earth. It's all these trees down around Fish Lake National Forest. They all look the same, but what we didn't know until people did a bunch of studies is that their root system is all connected. That's why it's the largest living organism on Earth. I got way into these trees as I was reading in this book because I'm just like, man, this is, this is crazy. How does stuff like this exist? Where I look at all these trees and I've seen them before and I know they're cool. And then I find out, oh, they're all interconnected. And they all are working in unison. And that makes my head kind of explode. It makes me feel like I'm smoking a bunch of pot and thinking about the stars. And I wasn't even doing those things. So the current novel that I'm reading is called Bewilderment. And so far, I'm not through it, but it's kind of just about life, not just on Earth, but the improbability of it existing anywhere at any given time. Um, just how improbable is it that we are here now, you know, think of how many conditions have to align in order for even the simplest life forms to survive, much less the complex ones. That's kind of so far what has been threaded into a lot of this work. Now, the main character, he's a astrobiologist, just a person who studies life 
here and in the solar system. And he, at nights, he kind of talks to his son and they create these fictional planets just based upon stuff that he knows is just, you know, just a father-son kind of thing. And I actually want to read a couple pieces about this thing because I think it will set the stage nicely for a discussion, strangely enough, about football and just the sheer amount of things that you have to have align in order for your team to find success. So this is him talking to his son. They make up a fictional planet. It's called Devau. I told him Devau was almost perfect. The right place in the right kind of galaxy with the right metallicity and low risk of annihilation from radiation or other fatal disturbances. It revolved at the right distance around the right kind of star. Like Earth, it had floating plates and volcanoes and a strong magnetic field which made for steady carbon cycles and steady temperatures. Like Earth, it was showered with water from comets. Had large planets in a farther orbiting shielding it from extreme bombardment. So then his son's asking, well, what went wrong? Why is there no life? You know, and he goes, well, there's no large moon, nothing to stabilize its spin. Just one of the many, 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 many things. And the more I read this book, the more of my mind kind of explodes of just like, yeah, I never really think about how many things need to align just for simple life forms to exist, much less, much more complex ones like ourselves. It's kind of, not kind of, it is mind-blowing to truly think about those things and then it makes my head hurt and I have to kind of stop. So he goes on, he's talking to his son about just how it went wrong and, you know, there's no large moon. And so we watched for millions of years. Microbes bumped up against their limits like a float thumping a dock. Every time life tried to break loose, the planet twirled, beating it back down to extremophiles until a solar flare burns away its atmosphere. So I love, I first want to stress because I've determined this is a reading podcast. I want to stress that I love Richard Powers as an author and I can't describe how good he is at writing and distilling pretty complex subjects in a way that for me makes sense. And I go, Ooh, this is making me think about stuff that I never think about. Why would I ever be thinking about just, uh, the orbiting moons and random things in the atmosphere and all that kind of stuff? Why would I be thinking about carbon cycles? Why would I be thinking about microbes? But then I do. And I go, huh, it's pretty cool to be alive. That's always the feeling that I have coming out of his work which is something that I really lust after in any facet of life. So over this last weekend, I played up in a, a golf tournament. One of the formats within it was alternate shot. And as I was reading this Richard Power stuff and just thinking about the way things have to work in unison and just the sheer improbability of that for life being created, I also think about these in sports terms. As you know, there's a lot of crossover between just how I think and how that ties into sports. And this alternate shot format in golf, which is just, you have a teammate, one of you hits a shot, then the next person hits the next shot, and then you switch, so on, so forth, so on, so forth. You just alternate, pretty simple, right? Now, it's kind of a bridge between a traditional team sport and the solo aspect of golf that I've really fallen in love with. Just, oh, I control all the stuff that I can control, and it's just on me. And if I fail, it's on me. And if I don't, it's on me. And I kind of like that. I still sometimes miss the aspects of a team sport, just that working in unison component that doesn't necessarily exist within solo golf, but within alternate shot, there's a little bit more of that. You know, you have to understand so many things about your playing partner to stay afloat. You got to understand emotional temperament. You got to understand your misses. You know, if you're playing with a, a not as good bunker player or you don't want to miss over here or you don't want to leave them a long iron because that's their weakness and vice versa. It's just about understanding 
what the actual miss is because they are the one who has to hit the next shot. It's not your miss in a way that I would normally think of. You know, you have to know how to stay mentally engaged when you're only hitting every other shot. It's a really different experience than the slow and steady flow of a traditional golf round. If I'm playing in just an amateur and it's on my own ball, there's a certain mindset that I get into that is applicable strictly to that format. And alternate shots different because I hit a drive and now I'm not going to be hitting until I'm up by the green and I'm going, oh, well, this, okay, this is kind of weird. How do I stay afloat in that? Again, it brings a little bit more of the team aspect into play that I've really enjoyed in the past when I played more team sports, especially basketball. That's probably my favorite sport to play growing up. And I really love the five people playing together as one organism style that you can get in basketball. If you play with people for a long period of time and you start to understand the intricacies and skill sets of the people around you and, okay, how do I put them in their best position to succeed? They know the same things about me and what are they doing in order to make that work? How are we all working together on offense and defense and that kind of stuff? That's a really cool component of team sports. It's probably my favorite aspect of my favorite sport, football. I mentioned at the top of the show, we are one month away from NFL football, which is very exciting on so many levels. The one area that I start to get apprehensive that I want to talk about on today's show that I talk about many times on the show is it also means we are one month away from incessant shouting about quarterbacks. Quarterbacks, love it. I want to talk about it day and night, all day, any day. Anybody who wants to talk about quarterbacks with me, you just email me at chrisceo.com and I'll talk about quarterbacks. That's how much I love this position. It's the most interesting position in sports, but along with that mantle, it has become the one that has the most misguided narratives about it because we all gravitate towards the position. Football is predominantly the sport in the United States of America. So the majority of fans and media coverage is going to be centered around What's the simplest, easiest thing to talk about in football? Quarterbacks. They're the ones who have the ball. They're the ones who we can see throw. Uh, they are the ones who, unfortunately, we most closely associate with wins and losses. Now, football is really cool because it mirrors the stuff I was talking about with Richard Powers or alternate shot golf or basketball or all those kinds of things. Just the complexity in it, uh, the amount of things needed to align to get the most out of a quarterback and at its best, that means winning a Super Bowl. It's vast. You know, there's so much stuff that goes into a football game. You all know this because you listen to a lot of shows that I talk about the margins and I dive deep, especially when there are games. And I go, okay, here are the five games that I want to talk about today. Here are the 15 granular details that somehow decided this game. And they're freaking insane if you truly think about it. It's not the big touchdown pass over here. It's a ball dropped here. It's a turnover here. Ball slipping out of a running back's hands there for a fumble. It's a ref making a call here. It's a coach melting down and forgetting to call a timeout. So much stuff, you know. So in the midst of all this, um, I, I read an article by Kevin Clark of The Athletic. It was about Josh Allen and just kind of they're shifting offensive coordinators. Brian Dayball went to be the head coach of the Giants. Now, Ken Dorsey, you probably remember him as the quarterback of that dynastic early turn of the century Miami Hurricanes team. He is now the offensive coordinator for the first year with Buffalo. So Kevin Clark writes a big article about this, and there's a couple paragraphs that I want to read that kind of set the stage for this discussion of structure, stability, and what is needed to a, make everybody succeed, but B, especially that most important position, how do we put quarterbacks in a position where that we can get the most out of their abilities? So here it is. Quarterbacks fail in the NFL, sure, but more often they are failed. 
This was the epiphany Bill's general manager Brandon Bean had while studying quarterbacks prior to the 2018 draft. Bean scrutinized the careers of former top prospects who made it, along with ones who didn't, and found that overwhelmingly, those in stable organizations with more continuity were more successful. We'd look at, why did this guy fail? Well, three head coaches or two GMs, it's crazy, Bean said this week. Constant turnover, different coordinators every year. There is probably a chicken and egg conundrum here, in which a bad young passer might get a staff fired and create his own turnover. But even considering that, the evidence was clear. Give a young quarterback the runway to improve, and he usually will. So Bean's goal ahead of the 2018 draft was simple. Build a steady foundation, then select a quarterback who was good enough to grow on it. Turnover would come eventually. Bean found in his research, but only once the team had won enough that other franchises wanted a piece. End quote. So it is an interesting kind of crossroads right now for Buffalo because they've been really good the last couple of years and Allen's turned into a superstar. And now because of that structure and stability, they saw a really integral piece of their success over the last couple of years leave to coach the New York Giants, Brian Dayball, which I don't think your casual fan or maybe even your talking head on your whatever media show is going to be sitting there going, Brian Dayball, he's a huge reason for Josh Allen's success, but he is one of the things that I think enabled Josh Allen to become the best version of himself that he currently is on the football field. Brian Dayball was really progressive, analytically speaking, about how do I utilize and get the most out of my quarterback? How do I put him specifically in the best possible positions to succeed? It's not running on first down and running on second down and having him throw on third and eight and the defense knows what's coming every single time. Dayball really leaned into a lot of keep the defense off balance. Let's throw on traditional running downs, sometimes even run on traditional passing downs because Allen can bring that to the table. Let's utilize play action. Let's never get behind the chains in a way that your traditional uh, offense coordinator wants to. Let's run it on first down. And, oh, we only got one yard and it's second and nine. Well, let's run it again and try to get into third and manageable. Let's get a third and five. Dayball was really, really uh, kind of cutting edge as far as, no, we want the defense to be off balance and we want Josh Allen to be throwing against a defense that does not know whether it's pass or run coming. Now he's gone. Now Ken Dorsey is coming in to try and take over there, which again, interesting crossroads moment. However, Buffalo has had just, they built out an incredible roster that has a lot of talent. That's a lot on Brandon being the general manager who's mentioned within those paragraphs. Sean uh, McDermott is a phenomenal head football coach. Josh Allen, we know, has incredible tools. So there's been years long runway getting to this point, but I also think Buffalo has gotten to a position where hopefully for them, they're going, okay, people will start plucking because we've created a steady foundation, but we trust the foundation will still be stable and we can still promote people from within or find other people and draft and do all the things that are necessary to keep this living, breathing thing afloat, not just for a year, but for three years and five years and hopefully for 10 years with Josh Allen as the centerpiece. Kind of takes a village. It's the old African proverb, you know, it takes a village to raise a kid, which definitely true, you know, as I think about all the things needing to align within my own life. And sometimes I want to give myself credit for certain things. And then I think about it and I'm just like, eh. I was just put in position by a lot of people. You know, my parents are just the people that were around me growing up. Uh, there were a lot of things that aligned that I had nothing to do with that they kind of mimicked what Buffalo had been doing with Josh Allen. They're like, okay, this little dipshit kid, he loves chili too much. Weird. We don't like that. But let's put him and 
this situation and do this and do this. And hopefully he kind of stumbles and finds his way. And the main point is we put him in the best possible situation. And hopefully he finds some semblance of happiness throughout that journey, which getting to where I am in present day, I go, oh, I am in a really happy place. And I like that. And there are a lot of things that I do on my day to day that I love. And I have a little tiny bit to do with that, but the vast majority of it, I just don't. It was just random chance and luck and other people looking out for me. That's threaded into football. Uh, you obviously have to have talent, but there's there's just so many talented people that make it to the league. You don't really go to the NFL because you're just, oh, I, I kind of backed my way in here without talent. That's not how it works, especially the quarterback position where you're going, there are 32 starting quarterbacks in the league. There's 32 more backups. There's people floating around on practice squads, but you're really talking about 100 people at any given time on the face of planet Earth that have worked their way up to be in position to where they could be on an NFL roster or floating around in that category. So at that point, it becomes really important to, all right, how do we put that person in position to succeed? I think we're going to be studying the Josh Allen story for years and years and years and years and years and years, because I don't want to call it an aberration, but the amount of things that needed to align and go right for this really raw toolsy quarterback prospect, it kind of mirrors that planet stuff that I was talking about with Richard Powers. Just, we need this to go right. And we need this moon over here and we need this carbon cycle to be, and we need deflection for meteors and we need this and we and you go down and you go well that's too many things that's too many things to put in place much less have this raw toolsy quarterback prospect like josh on who came in in his rookie year in 2018 and everybody laughed because the bills weren't very good we didn't understand their direction at the time and josh allen would alternate a jaw-dropping play he'd throw it 40 yards downfield frozen rope right on the money and we'd all go holy shit this guy's going to be a superstar. And the very next play, they'd call a just a simple running back swing pass. Nobody's on him. Just you need to take a snap and he'll run to your left and you just throw a five yard pass with nobody on. And he'd throw it 15 feet over his head. That was his rookie season. I remember it. It was just Twitter compilations of all the bad Josh Allen passes from every game. And they were horrific. We'd all laugh and everybody'd go, I mean, how can you wean that out? You know, it's the Bills too. The Bills are just this decrepit organization that we all make fun of ever since they lost four straight Super Bowls. Even their successes, we all laughed at because they're the Bills. And then the next year, he's better in his second year. That culminates in this kind of terrifying playoff game against the Texans where it was all the Josh Allen stuff in one. I mean, it's coming down to the wire at the end and he's running around like, a literal chicken with his head cut off. I mean, running in circles in the backfield and then throwing up these pseudo Hail Marys on plays that you should not be throwing Hail Marys. We're not talking about the final play of a game. And he's throwing balls backwards when he's getting sacked. I mean, it was insane. And he also is making plays. At that point, he was kind of becoming one of my, he was one of my favorite quarterbacks to watch because just you knew anything was possible for good and bad at the time. Just like, ah, yeah, I'm watching a Bills game. Hell yeah. Who knows what is going to happen? I could see the craziest thing I've ever seen for good and for bad on any play. That is a pretty tantalizing viewing experience. We also saw Buffalo building, 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 and then just kind of a crystallization of their vision starting in his third season two years ago when he becomes one of the three best quarterbacks in football. I remember there's a Monday night game that year against the Niners playing in San Francisco. And so it's the Island game. Everybody's paying close attention. And 
it was still in the first half of the year. And Allen had been just dynamite, just a true flamethrower from the get-go that season. But we're also kind of waiting for like, all right, when's he going to start like overthrowing 10 straight swing passes? And when is he going to have a wide open touchdown pass that he misses by 30 yards? And that Monday night game, I mean, he just obliterated San Francisco, just burned him to the ground. And every throw, I mean, every throw was on the money. It reminded me a lot of just Aaron Rodgers, what I always rave about with him. Like I watch a game and he doesn't miss a throw. That was kind of the feeling there. That's when my, in my mind, I started kind of recategorizing. Okay. So if he can channel this for a full game, I'm pretty intrigued about what this guy can be moving forward, especially because I'm starting to really understand what Buffalo is doing. Brandon Bean is the GM. Sean McDermott is the head coach. Brian Dable is the offensive coordinator. And then all of the talent, not just Josh Allen, but that stuff around him. So he's, I think he's second MVP voting that year. Last year, he's, Maybe the best quarterback in football. He's right there. He's in that small select group with Rodgers and Mahomes and now, in my opinion, Herbert and Burrow. And he's awesome. Just incredible. Now, why I think that this is going to be studied for years and years and years and years and years is because everybody wants a superstar quarterback. In the past, there's so many different uh, examples of the toolsy quarterback just being a complete flame out. Think of somebody like Jamarcus Russell, who was drafted number one overall by the Raiders out of LSU. Huge hulking dude, could throw the ball country mile, just take a pounding in the pocket, sit in there. I mean, he was awesome at LSU. He was one of my favorite players to watch in college. And he got into a situation that was not good. And what was he? I mean, one of the biggest draft busts in the history of the NFL. Now, my worry for other NFL teams is that they're going to look at what has occurred with Josh Allen Buffalo and they're going to go sweet. Let's really go out of our way to draft some of these toolsy quarterback prospects in the top 10. These players who are not really good in college, like Josh Allen was not that good in college. We now know that a lot of that was probably not on him. He's played at Wyoming and there's not a lot of good things going on there. But I think NFL teams are going to go, let's draft toolsy quarterbacks and the rest will take care of itself rather than listening to what Brandon Bean is always talking about, what he's talking about within those two paragraphs that I read of like, you know, you have to create structure first and foremost. That is the key component. Things will align once you have created that, but you cannot get a quarterback and put them into a bunch of dog shit and expect miracles to occur. That's just not a fair expectation of somebody. So thinking about Josh Allen, leads me to start looking around the league and I'm going, okay, I love talking about quarterbacks. I love thinking about quarterbacks. I remember a year ago this time I did a full show about rookie quarterbacks because there are five coming in first rounders. A handful of them were going to be starting from day one, three of them, actually Wilson Lawrence and Mac Jones. And I was just like, I'm so intrigued to watch all these players. Cause I think all of them have tools. They can all do things. They all have a chance of being really good. They also have a chance of being filled by their organization. Who is going to be what? I don't know. We've now watched them for a season and we're back to the off season of the off season game of me going, all right, I know a tiny bit more about these quarterbacks, but really not a lot. When you think of Zach Wilson, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, Mac Jones, Trey Lance, we probably know the most about Mac Jones because he was the starter in a pretty stable situation throughout the year. He did some things that I go, okay. I think you can be a reasonable NFL starting quarterback at the very least. Let's go from there. The other ones, it was hit or miss. It was, okay, Wilson, you're injured some. You're on the Jets. They didn't put you in a great position. You didn't look great when you were playing. You popped a little bit down the stretch, most notably in that Tennessee Titans game. 
Mm, now we've given you a lot more heading into season two. We drafted Garrett Wilson in the first round. We drafted Sauce Gardner to help out our defense. We drafted Jermaine Johnson to help out our defense. All three first round picks. You have another year within your system with a, another Lafleur which is a quarterback-friendly system, all that kind of stuff. Okay, what can we expect here? I'm very intrigued to watch and see what happens. Uh, there's a pretty reasonable chance that if we're getting to the end of this year and things are still looking bleak, I'm going, okay, might be more of a quarterback problem than what's going on. It also could be a complete flameout and just go, well, Garrett Wilson was a bust. This offense, you know, Elijah Moore maybe wasn't as good as we thought. Uh, Brees Hall, tailback, not as good. Oh, go on down the list. Trevor Lawrence, uh, there's... Nobody who was failed more by his surroundings than the number one pick of last year's draft. When in Jacksonville, you know the Urban Meyer story was just dysfunction at its absolute apex. So he's basically starting over from scratch. It's year one. Doug Peterson, a man who has had success, won a Super Bowl, has pretty notable track record helping out quarterbacks. That's an intriguing pairing. Mac Jones, I mentioned, I'm interested to see just, okay, you have a stable situation. You have Bill Belichick at your disposal. Let's see what can happen. Justin Fields, I am i can't even describe how worried I am about that. Because if you look back at Kevin Clark's statement of more often quarterbacks are failed rather than failing individually, my number one fear is we look back at the career of Justin Fields and go, you didn't have a chance because the Bears look like they are tanking. You don't have an offensive line and you have no weapons whatsoever. And the defense looks like it's going to be dog shit. And I don't really know what to expect from you. I don't really know what is reasonable to even say, hey, at the very least, let's try and do this. I'm not sure if anybody could succeed on what the Bears are going to be fielding next year. Now, there's one person, as I highlight kind of these second year quarterbacks, and I'm tracing storylines that I'm really intrigued by entering into this season maybe right at the top of the list, outside of my own team in the Packers. Trey Lance on San Francisco is probably the most interesting and intriguing quarterback entering this year for what can happen, both good and bad. Think back to that second year of Josh Allen that I was talking about, where I really enjoyed watching it. If I were a fan, I would have been immensely frustrated, but also kind of hopeful because you can always convince yourself, look, just if you channel that good, you're a superstar. We've seen it with Allen now. Trey Lance is stepping into a very stable situation, one that has taken Jimmy Garoppolo within minutes of winning a Super Bowl, within minutes last year of making a second Super Bowl. He is raw. He is toolsy. The times that we saw him last year, he looked like he could not process what was going on in the field. Even as that was happening, you could understand this guy's fast and strong and big, and he can throw the ball really hard. And he has at his disposal entering year two where it's already been declared he's going to be the starter. There's a reason the Niners traded up to draft him last year. Three overall. They got maybe the most gifted offensive mind in football, calling plays and scheming in Kyle Shanahan. They have maybe the best weapon in football right now, Debo Samuel. They have one of the best tight ends in football in George Kittle. They have a dude who everybody's raving about in camp, Brandon Ayuk, who if he can put it together on the field, we've seen flashes and we know that's an incredible threesome just to have at your disposal as a quarterback much less a Kyle Shanahan run game that no matter who is your tailback, they will run for 100 yards a game because he is the very best in football at scheming a run game. Add Trey Lance in that mix, a guy who can also run. Your playbook expands more than it did with Jimmy Garoppolo. And now you're looking at kind of this really intriguing blend of, okay, we can stretch the field and we can force teams to be off kilter. 
thinking, is this run? Is this pass? Think of that Brian Dayball stuff I was talking about with Josh Allen. I think the Niners are going to have a really intriguing blend of all of those things. Now, pressure arrives on Trey Lance's shoulders because we're going to have a pretty good answer within the next two-ish years of it's either you or it's not because you can't really get a better situation than what San Francisco has on the offensive side. And that's not even mentioning the other side of the ball. One of the hottest defensive coordinators in football, D'Amico Ryans, who was sensational last year, one of the best defensive stars in football, Nick Bosa rushing off the end, one of the better defenses that we saw last year, returning a lot of key pieces, including those two. Pretty, pretty good stuff to be stepping into. San Fran's sitting there going, okay, they've kind of mimicked the Buffalo vision of create a stable situation, create structure. We can make do with Jimmy Garoppolo. He's not the best. He's not who we would sit there and say, we want this guy over these other 10 quarterbacks. You would never say that about him. However, in a stable enough situation, we can go to a Super Bowl. We can knock on the door again. And now we flop him out for Trey Lance. And they're going, hmm, remember when the Rams traded Jared Goff for Matt Stafford and that resulted in the Super Bowl? Maybe this could be the same kind of thing. The toolsy quarterback put in a great situation that explodes. You know, it takes a village to win a football game. Not an African proverb, but it's the same idea. You know, quarterback, yes, most important position, always have an imprint on their game, but it's usually not as large as we want it to be because there's so many other things that need to occur in order for a football game to be won. You know, I always talk about the Packers. I always talk about Aaron Rodgers because it's what I'm most familiar with. It's what I think about the most and watch the most, but Aaron Rodgers went home last year in the playoffs because his special teams was an abomination. We know this. Mason Crosby couldn't kick a field goal. They couldn't stop kick returns, punt returns. They couldn't block for a punt, which resulted in the only touchdown for San Francisco. They couldn't even get the correct amount of people on the field for the game-winning field goal attempt that San Francisco nailed at the buzzer, Robbie Gould. It was just an abomination. It really was. But there's so many playoff losses in Aaron Rodgers' career, 10 to be exact. And people love throwing that number around. Ah, damn. What, you know, he's 12 and 10 in his career. Ha, 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 ha. Barely over 500. How is this guy's just, he doesn't have it in the playoffs. And I go, let's talk about each game, you know. He lost a Super Bowl trip because Brandon Bostick couldn't recover an onside kick. One little tiny simple thing. If you draw the Richard Powers metaphor, you know, that's the solar flare that ignited the atmosphere. He's lost twice in the playoffs to the Cardinals in overtime because the defense just couldn't stop anybody. And then they lost a coin toss and nobody... Aaron Rodgers could never get on the field. Larry Fitzgerald on the first play ran it down into the red zone. They scored two plays later. They got upset by the Giants as the 15-1 and one, number one seed in the NFC in January 2012 because Green Bay allowed a Hail Mary touchdown at the end of the first half. One play earlier, the Giants were trying to run out the clock to go into the half. They handed it off to Ahmad Bradshaw who broke a 20-yard run to put him in position where they go, oh, actually, let's just throw a Hail Mary, what the hell, which ends up being a touchdown as clock expires. The list goes on and on and on. I could do this for every playoff loss and I could break it down even in more detail because there's a lot that goes into a football game. There's a lot that goes into finding success or finding failure. Talk about the Niners a bunch, but even last year, Jimmy Garoppolo, he's not very good. We know this. And yet even with him, I go, Jimmy G went home last year in part because of his own doing things he could have done better, just like Rodgers. Rodgers could always, everybody could always do things better, but just with what was provided, in that game, if you change nothing else, I go, Jimmy Garoppolo would have been in the Super Bowl last year if Jaquiski Tart just cradles an interception that was thrown into his hands like an arm punt 
where Matt Stafford in the fourth quarter of that game with the Niners in the lead, they would have had the ball going in, potentially put the game out of reach. Pretty simple, you know? The best example in the history of football and one that I will use forevermore to illustrate this concept is Josh Allen in last year's playoffs. I'll probably talk about that two-game stretch on this show 5,000 times until I die because there's never been a better two-game playoff stretch from a quarterback that I have watched. The second game resulted in a loss and how we talk about that moving forward is going to be very interesting to watch. They play New England in wildcard weekend. Josh Allen's 21 for 25 for 308 yards, five touchdowns, zero interceptions. He has six carries for 66 yards. More touchdowns than incompletions in nasty-ass conditions. And he's just ripping the ball all over the field. So they go to play Kansas City the next week in Kansas City. And I'm like, Josh, you can't play better than that. That was incredible. This is, this is why you're outside of Rodgers, maybe my favorite quarterback to watch in the league. And he goes into Arrowhead and he goes 27 for 37 for 329 yards and four touchdowns and no picks with 11 carries for 68 yards. And I'm just like, oh, so you actually can play as good? How is, <laughs> I thought that the New England game was going to be the apex of his career. And then he just went and did the same thing again the next week against Kansas City. And somehow that game ended in a loss, which is insane. It is crazy. Makes my mind want to explode just as much as thinking about life and how many things need to align in order for the planet Earth to be what it is today with me upon it. But how did the Bills lose in that game? Well, there's a lot of things, but most notably, I would say, because Josh Allen's defense couldn't ever stop the opposition. And most importantly, because they somehow allowed Kansas City to drive 44 yards in 13 seconds. There were 13 seconds remaining in regulation when Buffalo scored a touchdown to go up by three. They kicked off. And Kansas City had the ball at their own 25, 13 seconds on the clock, and they got 44 yards, and Harrison Butker kicked a field goal to send it to overtime. And then in overtime, the coin flip went against Josh Allen and the Bills. They never went on the field, and the Chiefs drove down and scored a touchdown. Now, all that stuff happened, and if you want to dumb it down into the way that narratives arise and the way that people really like to talk about quarterbacking and football, you can take everything I've talked about in this show and the last 20 minutes talking about Josh Allen and say, oh yeah, that Chiefs game, what is it? That's a loss on Josh Allen's resume. That's the most simple black and white way of viewing what occurred there. Now, that one simple number in the loss column, it doesn't matter as much now because his career is still young and everybody remembers how electric he was against Kansas City. I think people, most people watched it and were just like, well, yeah. You can't blame this dude. You just can't. There's nothing he could have done. However, I point this out now because as the years go on and that playoff loss column continues to grow, as it does with every quarterback, because you very rarely win Super Bowls in the NFL. Sometimes you don't ever. When that loss column continues to grow, that's when people start to freak out. Uh, this takes a village to win in football. GM, coaching, refing, roster talent, practice squad, crowd noise, weather, all that kind of stuff, that goes out the window and it just becomes a number. Did you win? Did you lose? Okay, that's your playoff record. Well, let's talk about it just based upon those two numbers rather than something worth discussing with nuance and understanding of what actually went into each game. That's a loss on Josh Allen's resume. And if he's eight years down the road and his playoff records, you know, four and six, people go, ha, he's bad. He can't win in the playoffs. And I don't know what these future losses are going to hold, but I feel very confident saying Josh Allen's going to be really good at football for a long time. And I'm sure I'll be able to do the same activity I just did with the Kansas City Chiefs game. 
and go, well, let's talk about each of these games and what needs to align in order for a game to be won outside of the quarterback position. It's kind of, it's the way that Aaron Rodgers' 12 and 10 playoff record is used by many, not everybody, but the vast majority of people. I'm kind of a, a man in the wilderness there. His 12 and 10 playoff record is used by many to define him. Despite my repeated pleas to examine each individual loss and determine how it occurred. You know, like I did with some of those, like I could do with all of them, like I did with Josh Allen uh, against Kansas City. Just what Rodgers could have done differently. There's always things, but let's say it's just the exact same. What could have changed within these games that he could not control? Oh, there's a trillion things that if they'd gone differently, it could have resulted in a loss. That's where we look at it and go, okay, you know, it is more complex, uh, but let's maybe acknowledge that football is a, a really nuanced and sprawling game with a lot of moving pieces. And one tiny mistake from anybody within that chain, it's going to be the solar flare that burns away your atmosphere. Thank you for listening to The Chris Rawls Show. This podcast is produced by Weston Tanner. Don't forget to sign up for my newsletter. It comes out tomorrow. It comes out every Wednesday morning. You can go to chrisrawl.com and subscribe. Put your email address in there. I promise I will only use it for good in the world. If you have not read any of my past ones, they are also all available on that site, chrisrawl.com, as well as past essays that I have written. Thank you for listening today. I will talk to you on Friday.